The thing that he was good at was finishing his races. He finished every time, and he never disqualified himself. That is how Stephen Bradbury became a hero. Now, that's a lot like life, don't you think? Because in life, think about this, it doesn't matter in the end how you started. What matters is how you finish. It doesn't matter how you started. Maybe you started off great like the other people in the race. Maybe you didn't start off great. But in the end, what matters is how you finish. And here's the deal. The way to become a hero, the way to become a hero is to finish well. Because of all of this that happened to Stephen Bradbury in these these races in the Olympics, today in Australia, uh, his name has become part of the common vernacular. They say to do a Bradbury or to pull a Bradbury means that you succeed in an unexpected or unusual way. A few days after he won the race, the Australian post office issued a stamp with Stephen Bradbury's picture on it. And, and because they used his picture, he was given an uh, honorarium check of $20,000. And my favorite part was this. In response to getting this $20,000 check, Bradbury told the reporters, Wow, this is great. Now I can finally buy a car. I've, I haven't had a car for a really long time. I've been borrowing my parents' car. So, you know... This man, really, he's, uh, he was 30 years old, borrowing his parents' car, not really expected to do anything special, but now he was awarded the Medal of the Order of Australia. It's like the highest honor in Australia, and he was inducted into the Australian Sports Hall of Fame. He is a hero in Australia, and all because of what? Because of what? Because although all the other racers had great starts, Stephen Bradbury was good at one thing. He was good at finishing. He was good at finishing. He was good at reaching the finish line without wiping out and without disqualifying himself. That's what he was good at. And in the end, that's a lot like life. It doesn't matter how you start. What really matters in the end is how you finish. And the way to become a hero is to finish well. In our text today from 1 Samuel, we are going to meet a man named Saul, and he is going to be the first king of Israel. And in the person of Saul, we see someone who had a really great start. I think a lot of times when people talk about King Saul, they don't give him enough credit. But here's the thing, he didn't finish well, and that's why people don't give him enough credit. See, Saul, as we'll see, he had all the potential in the world to be someone great. He had all the potential in the world to be a great leader, to be a hero. But he didn't finish well. And in the end, it doesn't matter how you started. What matters is how you finish. And the way to be a hero is to finish well. And I think that's a really important message for me to hear. It's an important message for you to hear who are here today. Maybe some of you have made mistakes. Maybe you haven't started off. Maybe you started off well, but you fell along the way. Maybe you've done some dumb things, made some bad decisions. Maybe you have a lot of regrets. But I'm here to tell you this, that no matter how you started, what matters is how you finish. And the gospel message of Jesus Christ is this, that you can have a fresh start even today. Today can be the beginning of a new chapter in your life in which things are different, in which your life takes a different course, a new direction. Your sins can be washed away because Jesus Christ died for you. He took all of it upon himself on the cross and he declared, it is finished. So in Jesus Christ, the way that you started doesn't have to define how you will finish. Maybe there are others of you out there, though, who who started out well. 
You started out great. As a Christian, you started out great as a husband or a wife. You started out great as a parent. Lots of enthusiasm, just going for it hard. But remember this, what matters is not how you start. What matters is how you finish. And you need to make it your goal. I want to encourage you today to make it your goal. Set your eyes on the finish line. Make it your goal to finish your race without wiping out, without disqualifying yourself. That is what will make you a hero. So let's go ahead and look at this man, Saul, from verse 1 of chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel, for his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. In our study last week, what we saw is that the people of Israel demanded that God give them a king. Now, Israel had never had a king before. Up until now, God filled that role in their society of king and leader as the one who would go before them and fight their battles and lead them uh, and defend them. And this was something which was very unique about the people of Israel. I mean, no other nation was like this. This really set them apart from the crowd, from the other nations. For hundreds of years, Israel existed as a nation without a king, without a central government. The Lord God was their ruler, and he had given them a law which governed their society. The desire, though, that the people had, the people came and they said, we have this desire that God would give us a king. Now, that desire in and of itself was not a bad thing. It wasn't a bad thing that they wanted, that that God would give them uh, a human king. Because God had promised hundreds of years before this to their ancestors that one day, the day would come when he would give them a king. So it wasn't really a bad thing that they wanted this. It wasn't a, you know, the problem wasn't, what they wanted. The problem was this. The problem was why they wanted it and when they wanted it. And I think that's often the case with you and I, right? We oftentimes, maybe we want good things, but it's why we want them and when we want them that can be the issue. The reason the Israelites wanted a king was so that, and they admitted this, they wanted a king so they could be just like everybody else, just like all the other nations around them who had kings. Now that's sad because God had a bigger vision. God had a higher calling for his people than that they would just be just like everybody else. And the same is true of you. Do you know that? That God has a bigger vision and a higher calling for your life than that you would just fit in and be just like everybody else around you. But it wasn't just why they wanted a king, it was also when they wanted a king that was a problem. Rather than patiently waiting for God to fulfill his promise to them, they tried to force God's hand. They told God, we don't care about your timing, we want a king and we want it now. God's timing is just as important as God's will. Do you know that? His timing is just as important as his will. There might be something that is totally uh, God's plan and will for your life, but just not yet. But the people, what they did here is they argued with God. This is what we saw in our last chapter. They said, no, God, we, we know better than this. We don't want to wait. We want a king now. We're tired of being different. Give us a king and give it to us now. Now, the irony about this whole thing about the king is that everything that they claimed that they wanted, all the benefits that they sought in having a king, they already had in the Lord. They already had everything that they said that they wanted. You see, it wasn't that they really needed a king. 
is that they wanted an image that they could project to other people. They wanted an image. And so God said, okay, if you don't want to wait for my king, then fine, I'll give you your king, and I'll let you see what it's like. I'll let you learn the hard way. I'll give you the king that you want. I'll give you somebody who looks like a king, somebody who's tall and handsome and aristocratic. I'll give you that image that you want, and you'll see it's not exactly what you think it will be. So here in chapter 9, here at the beginning, we meet this man, Saul, the son of Kish. And we learn a few things about Saul here right at the outset. Uh, the first thing we learn about him is that he came from a wealthy family. In verse 1, we read that Saul's father was a mighty man of power. Some of your translations will say he was a man of standing. Uh, ESV just straight up says he was a wealthy man. Uh, what that means, though, that he was a mighty man of power or man of standing, it means that he was loaded, right? He was rich. He was rolling in money. And because he was rich, he uh, was powerful and he was influential. Basically, what we're talking about is upper-class aristocracy. The next thing we learn about Saul is that he was tall and handsome. He stood head and shoulders above everybody else. I think it would be fair to say that Saul was a natural-born leader. He's the kind of guy who walks into a room, everybody's head turns. He's the kind of guy that people look to as a leader, naturally. And Saul is the exact kind of person the Israelites have been looking for in a king. Tall, handsome, aristocratic. The only thing is this. Those are all outward things. Those things are all outward. None of those things say anything about his heart, about his character, about who he actually is. Those are just how he looks, what kind of family he came from. And this is exactly the point, not only of this story, but this is the message that is at the core of this book, 1 Samuel. And that is this. It's summed up for us in chapter 16. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. You know, the title we've given for this series is A Heart for God. Because what we, uh, what we learned through this book is that God is most interested not in outward appearance and image, but he's interested in the reality of our hearts. And he wants us to become people who don't just look good on the outside. He wants us to be people who are changed and transformed on the inside. Because if our hearts are fully given over to him, he will be changing us from the inside out. Let's continue on in, in verse 3 and see what happens. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take, care, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the mountains of Ephraim and through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, and they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, and they did not find them. When they had come to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. And he said to him, Look now, there is in this city a man of God, and he is an honorable man. All that he says surely comes to pass, so let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way that we should go. So here is Saul. He's a young man. He's working for the family business. Now, if you had a business in those days, having donkeys is kind of like the equivalent of having pickup trucks. You know, that's how you transport your stuff. And so it's a problem. They've got a problem at work. The donkeys are missing. Uh, and so Saul goes out. They're not able to find the donkeys. They're about ready to give up when his servant says, hey, 
it's worth one last shot. I know that in this town up here, there's a prophet, a man of God. Everything he says, it, that's the way it is. So let's go ask him, see if he can give us a hand in finding these donkeys before we give up. Let's scoot down to verse 14. So they went up to the city, and as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the Lord said to Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry has come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man of whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, and you shall eat with me today. And tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. But as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not be anxious about them, for they have been found. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on your father's house? Saul tells Samuel, or I'm sorry, Samuel tells Saul, he says, There's a reason you're here today, Saul. God is providential. You know those donkeys that you lost? The reason you're here has nothing to do with the donkeys. That was just God's way of leading you here to this place where God wanted you to be. Do you know that, friends, that God is providential in your life? That things aren't just happening randomly? That God reigns over and ordains the events of your life? That's what we see here, too. God has plans for your life, Saul. That's what Samuel says. And he says, God used those donkeys to lead you here to this place today because God has something that he wants to tell you. Verse 21. Saul answered and said, Am I not a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family of the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak like this to me? What we see here is Saul is that not only was he tall and handsome, but uh, not only was he a natural born leader, but we also see a sense of humility. And that's something that we're going to see a couple times here in these two chapters. Saul, at this point in his life, was genuinely a humble person. He didn't, you know, he wasn't presumptuous at all. And that's a great quality. Again, like I said, I think we don't give Saul enough credit sometimes. Let's continue from verse 22. Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had them sit in the place of honor among those who were invited. There were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion which I gave you, of which I said to you, set it apart. So the cook took up the thigh with its upper part and set it before Saul. And Samuel said, here it is. What was kept back, I have set it apart for you. Eat, for until this time it has been kept for you since I said I invited the people. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. So they go inside here, and, and Samuel uh, shows Saul that he's been expecting him, that God spoke to him and said, Today, the man upon who is all the desire of Israel, that man will come, and you will meet him today. So Samuel prepares this big meal, and he brings Saul in and says, Look, we've been expecting you. What a day, right? You're just out looking for some donkeys, and then somebody says, hey, come into my house. We've been expecting you. This would be like if you're uh, out driving and your car breaks down far from home, and you go knock on the door of a church. Maybe they can help you find a mechanic and fix your car. And, and they say, hey, it's you. We've been expecting you. Come on in. And there's this big dinner, and it's in your honor, and then they appoint you mayor of their city, right? It's that kind of thing. Uh, this would be totally bizarre, right? But this is exactly what happened to Saul. He was totally 
really caught off guard by it. This was not something he expected. Verse 27, we read, As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Take the servant to go on ahead of us. And he went on. He said, But you stand here a while, Saul, that I may announce to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? You know, there are three kinds of people in the Old Testament who were anointed with oil like this. The priests, the prophets, and the kings. They were all anointed with oil, especially when they were ordained. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and that's what was symbolic here with the anointing of oil. It was a symbolic action by which they would ask the Holy Spirit to come upon this person to lead them and guide them and make their ministry fruitful. These three offices, priest, prophet, and king, the ones who received the anointing, they all needed to be anointed with the Holy Spirit and with olive oil. This is a picture of who the Messiah will be. You know, that's what it means, Messiah, the Christ. It means the anointed one. And these three roles, you know, priest, prophet, and king, they they all foreshadow aspects of who the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be. Jesus was the true priest, the one who who went before God and made the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the people to make atonement between God and man, to remove the barrier that separated us from God so that we could be forgiven, so we could be made pure, so we could be right with God. Jesus was also the greatest prophet. He was the one who came to us speaking the word of God, revealing to us the heart of God like no one else ever could other than God himself come to us in human flesh. And Jesus was the ultimate king. He is the ultimate king. The one who came to establish a kingdom and is coming again to rule and reign over a kingdom which has no end. The Old Testament is full of pictures and foreshadowings of Jesus. And here we have another example of just that. But think about Saul for a second. Saul has gone to find some runaway donkeys. And now he returns home anointed as the king of Israel. You know, Saul would have never imagined that this would happen to him in his wildest dreams. This wasn't a goal. It wasn't an aspiration. It wasn't even on the chart, right? He's just doing his job, just working for his dad. But God had much bigger plans for Saul than Saul ever imagined. But it was as he was faithfully doing that which was set before him, which was placed before him to do, it was as he was faithful in that that God led Saul into this new calling to be king. And so my question for you today, the question I would ask you to ask yourself is, what has God called you to be faithful in today? Do you have a job Do you have a family? Are you in school? Do you have a ministry that you are currently involved in? Be faithful in those things. Be faithful. God delights in faithfulness. God blesses faithfulness. In fact, it says uh, in, in the New Testament, it says, of a steward, of a servant, it is expected that one be found faithful. That's what God's looking for. Perhaps even the greatest thing that God is looking for in a person that he will use is faithful people. And God will direct your steps like he did Saul as you are faithful in the things that he has already placed before you. But I want you to see this right here. Saul at this point, he has so much going for him. He has so much potential. He's a natural born leader. He's 
actually a humble person. And not only that, but he's also a faithful person. So we just see all these, these things that Saul has going for him. He has so much potential to be someone great. He started off so well. Let's continue on from verse 2 in chapter 10. When you have departed from me, this is Samuel talking to Saul. When you've departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. This is the fun part about teaching the Old Testament. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you found to look for, uh, which you went to look for, have been found. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and go, come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you come there to the city, you will meet a group of prophets." coming down from the high place with stringed instruments, tambourines, flutes, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be turned into another man. And let it be when these things come to you, that you do as the occasion commands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. Okay, so Samuel tells Saul, all right, I want you to leave now, and what's, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go find your donkeys, but after that, you're going to go up to this hill, and there's going to be these prophets there, right? This kind of this charismatic crew, and they've got tambourines, and they've got instruments and guitars, and they're going to be up in the place of worship, the high place, and they're going to be praising the Lord and worshiping and prophesying. And he says, I want you to go hang out with those guys, Saul. He said, this will be good for you to hang out with these, these people. And when you do that, when you're hanging out with them and worshiping with them, the spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you and you're going to be changed. You're going to become a different man when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that is precisely what happens actually when the Holy Spirit comes upon a person. They are changed. You become a different person. That's honestly what all of us need so badly, so desperately. Jesus instructed his disciples before he left. He told them, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Before you go out and, and evangelize and try to change the world, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at Jesus' disciples in the book of Acts after the Holy Spirit came upon them, uh, they really are different people than the people we read about in the, in the Gospels, right? They were kind of bumbling around, making a lot of mistakes. Not only that, but even in the beginning of Acts, we see them as this timid group of people, 120 people locked up behind closed doors, pulled shutters, so that no one will see them because they're afraid. They're afraid that people will do the same to them as they did to their master, Jesus. And so what happens? On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon these believers who are waiting upon the Lord, and they are changed. They become bold. They are changed. They become different people. And you and I so much, we need that. We need that in our lives. We need the Holy Spirit to come upon us and to change us. We need the Holy Spirit to make alive within us the truths of the gospel 
So it isn't just cerebral. So it isn't just information that we know theoretically, that we've got memorized. But it, it needs to become transforming truth, reality that we experience and live out firsthand. I would encourage you to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit today so that you might not only understand the gospel cerebrally, but that you might be transformed, that you might receive a new heart and become a changed person. That's what happened to Saul when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Another thing we see in the book of Acts is that the same group of people, right, those same disciples, they weren't just filled with the Holy Spirit once, but this was something that happened multiple times to the same people. The Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them afresh and anew and again. So even if you already are a believer, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to fill you with his spirit that you might be changed, that you might be renewed by the spirit of God within you, transforming you from the person you are into the person that he wants to make you into. Let's see what happens from verse 9. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet them. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Saul, and Saul is changed. He receives a new heart. He becomes a different man. Whereas before, Saul didn't seem to show any interest at all in the things of God. Now Saul is praising and prophesying. He's, he's become a charismatic, right? And the people uh, who had known him previously, they're surprised. And they say, wow, is that really the same person? Uh, this isn't characteristic of him at all. His friends couldn't believe that he became one of those guys. You know those guys, one of those crazy, charismatic people, right? I mean, it's one thing to believe in God, but, I mean, it's, you don't have to get all extreme about it, right? And this, this became a saying there in Israel in those days. Is Saul among the prophets? It's pretty much like saying, you know, like, like maybe when pigs fly. Or it's like saying, well, stranger things have happened before. Remember Saul became one of the prophets? So here's Saul. Not only does he look the part of a king, but, but look at his credentials. He's got humility. He's faithful. Not only that, but now he's, the Holy Spirit has come upon him, and he is a changed man, and he has a new heart. If before we could have said that Saul's only qualification to be king was that he looked like a king and that he was from a wealthy family, we can no longer say that. We certainly can't say that anymore. I mean, look at him. He is the real deal. He's the whole package. Even if, you know, before, we could have said that he didn't have a heart for God. Well, look at him now. He's a changed man. He has a new heart. You know, a lot of people, like I said, I think they, they read this story of Saul wrong in a way. I think they miss the point of the story. People always paint Saul as being this guy who had no heart for God whatsoever, totally caught up with himself, just looked the part of a king but didn't have the heart of a king. But I think that's not completely accurate. I mean, look at him here. He is the real deal. He's the whole package. And there's even more from verse 14. Then Saul's uncle came to him and, said to, and, and his servant and said, Where did you go? And he said, To look for the donkeys, 
We went and they were nowhere to be found. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, what did Samuel say to you? So Saul said to his uncle, oh, he told us plainly the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. Now that's a little bit weird, right? Like, hey, uh, you know, what's new? What's going on? He'd just been anointed king of Israel, right? Oh, you know, nothing. Just out looking for donkeys, you know, same old, same old. Now isn't that a bit weird? Like, why doesn't he say anything? But I can't help but wonder. You know, there's a number of people throughout the Bible when, when great things are revealed to them, they just keep them to themselves. They ponder them in their heart before they start talking about them. It says of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that when the angel spoke to her and told her the incredible news that she would be the mother of the Messiah, it says that she kept these things in her heart and pondered them in her heart. Uh, in Nehemiah, the Lord put it on his heart to go and care for the needs of Jerusalem. But Nehemiah says there in, in Nehemiah chapter 2, he says, I told no one about the deed that the Lord put on my heart. You know, some people speak about everything that they see and hear. But it's a wise person who ponders more in their heart than they speak out with their mouth. So we can add this to the list of Saul's credentials. On top of everything else, he was also wise beyond his years at this point. From verse 17. Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. And you have said to him, No, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near uh, by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Samuel the son of Kish was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired of the Lord, where has, this man, uh, has the man come yet here? And the Lord answered, he is there, he is hidden among the equipment. So they ran and brought him from there. And he, when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. You know, Samuel already knew that God had chosen Saul to be king, but he wanted the people to see that this was really from the Lord. But when it's time to introduce Saul to the people, they can't find him anywhere because he's out hiding amongst the equipment, right? What is that? Why is he doing that? You know, I think in one sense it was, a, it was that we see here a sense of timidity on, Paul, uh, on Saul's part. We see a sense even of perhaps humility. He doesn't like being center stage. Maybe he's worried about the weight of responsibility that comes with being king. But it's clear that he doesn't, he's not in this to be a celebrity, to be center stage. And we read the last few verses here. Samuel said to the people, Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There is not one like him among all the people. So the people shouted and said, Long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house, and Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, those whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents. But Saul held his peace. 
As can be expected, there were some people who immediately got on board with the new king, with the new leader. But then there were also others who were skeptical and spoke out against Saul. They questioned him. They were critical of him, but they even went beyond that and they insulted him. They did not recognize him as king and they did not bring him gifts to welcome him as king. But here what we see is that Saul responded to this in a very mature way. He is gracious. He doesn't call them out. He doesn't order them to be killed. He just ignores them and he carries on with what God's called him to do. He doesn't allow those people to hold him back from what God has called him to do. And that's something that's very important for, for anyone who is a leader. That, that, that shows maturity. That, yeah, there will be retractors, but you carry on and you don't let those people stop you from what God has called you to do. So we can add this to the list of Saul's attributes and credentials. He was mature and he was gracious. But here's what's interesting. Later on in Saul's life, he's going to be faced with a very similar situation in which people criticize him as a leader, and rightly so. But when that happens later on in life, Saul is not going to respond like he did here. He's not going to respond graciously. He's not going to respond maturely. No, at that time, many years from now, Saul is going to respond rashly and severely. He will respond like the kings of all the other nations would respond. If anyone disagrees with him, he'll get rid of them. He'll have them beaten. He'll have them killed. He'll have them banished. He will hunt them down, and if need be, he will kill them with his own two hands. And this here we see the issue that's really at the heart of this section. Saul started so well. He started with so much promise and so much potential. He was chosen by God. He was anointed by God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was humble. He was faithful. He was wise and gracious and mature. And even over the next few chapters, we'll see that he started off leading well. But even though he started off well, the story of Saul is the story of a man who did not finish well. You know, it's really easy to start things. A lot of people can start things, right? But very few people finish the things that they start, and even fewer people finish well. You know, what do most people think of when they think of Saul? If you say King Saul, what, do you, what comes to your mind? Do you think of a, a great man of God, a hero filled with the Spirit, called by the Lord, humble, wise, gracious, faithful? No. Most people, when they, when they hear the name of Saul, they think of a carnal man. They think of a, a selfish man, the complete antithesis of David, right, who was the man after God's own heart. And, and that's, in fact, true. That is who Saul became later on in his life, a, a small man, a petty man, a selfish man, a man desperate to hold on to the little power that he had at any cost, even though God had already taken it away from him. A man who did not care at all about the will of God. But Saul wasn't always that way. That's what I want you to see. He wasn't always that way. And I think this is the part of the story that often gets missed, that often doesn't get told. And I think it's actually perhaps the most important part of the story. Because there's a major caution in it for you and for me. No matter how you start, in the end what matters is how you finish. You know, Saul is a fascinating character because he is a tragic character. In a way, he's so contemporary, right? In the person of Saul, I see so many people that I have known. So many people who started off well in some area of their life with so much potential, with so much enthusiasm, with everything going for them. They were the ones racing out of the gate, putting everyone else to shame. But where are they now? 
They've gone off track. They're, they've lost sight of the goal. They've crashed. They've wiped out. They've been disqualified. They could have been heroes. They could have been great. They could have been used by God in great ways. But somewhere along the way, they got derailed. And right now, they're not on track to finish their race. Do you want to be a hero? Do you want to be a hero with your wife, men? Do you want to be a hero for your kids? Then make it your goal to finish well. Do you want to be used by God? Do you want to be a hero in God's kingdom? Then make it your goal, your aspiration to finish well in whatever it is that he has called you to, in all the different areas of your life that God has called you and the things that you have put your hand to in his name. There was another man named Saul in the Bible. And although they share the same name, uh, these two men could not have been any more different. The, 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 Samuel, sorry, the Saul here in 1 Samuel, he was tall and handsome, but the other Saul in the New Testament, he was short and ugly. Reports about him was that he had a hooked nose and a hunched back. This Saul, here he started off well, but later on he began to resist God and go his own way. He became petty and selfish and small. The other Saul, he started out terribly. Uh, he, he started out as a cruel person. But that Saul, he turned from those ways and put his faith in Jesus Christ and followed him. And as a result, he became a great man. He became a hero. The other Saul, his life was changed when he became a follower of Jesus Christ. So that much so that even his name had to be changed. It didn't fit anymore. His name became Paul. And he became a missionary and an evangelist and a pastor and a writer. A man who changed the world without a doubt. You see, in the end, it doesn't matter how you start. What matters in the end is how you finish. And what makes a hero is someone who finishes well. Whether it's in your Christian walk, whether it's as a spouse or a parent, whatever calling God has put upon your life, maybe you started out great, but you've stumbled upon the way. There's grace for that. The blood of Jesus covers over a multitude of sins. It's not too late. You can still finish well. Maybe you started out terribly, you, you, maybe you didn't begin your marriage in respect and purity. You didn't do things the way that God wanted you to do. Maybe with your kids, you haven't been the mom or dad that you should have been to them. There's grace for that. And the good news of the gospel is it's not too late to finish well. Paul the Apostle, he compared the Christian life to a marathon. Because in a marathon, you aren't just running just for the heck of it, right? You're running with a goal in mind. You're running to reach a finish line. And like a marathon, not everybody finishes the race. Some people drop out along the way. But Paul made it clear that it was his goal in life to finish well in every area that God had called him to. Paul said, this is one of my, my all-time favorite verses, he says, I do not account my life as precious to myself if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the grace of God. At the end of his life, Paul was one of the people who was able to say, I have fought that good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. You know, Jesus Christ, with his final breath, he declared, it is finished. Jesus, at the end of his life, he said, he was able to say, I have accomplished everything that the Father sent me to do. You know, anyone can start something. A lot of good people, like King Saul, even start out well. But what makes a difference is how you finish. That's what makes a hero. Jesus finished well. And the message of the gospel is that by his grace, you can too. Amen? Let's stand and pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you finished. Lord, that you declared on the cross, it is finished. And Lord, by your grace, I ask that you would help us to be people who, ha who finished well. No matter where we started, no matter how we came in here today, Lord, would you let today be the beginning of a new course, a new track, a new direction in our lives, Lord. May it be, the, may it be us getting back into that race so that we can finish well in every area of calling that you've placed upon our lives. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who says, I need to be changed on the inside. Lord, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? And would you make them a new person like you did with Saul? Would you let them be born again, Lord? Would you, would you change their heart, Lord? And I pray if there's anyone here today who has not yet received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in their life, Lord, would you not let them leave here today without making a confession of faith, without saying, Jesus I admit I am a sinner and I need you. I need what you have done for me in my life. I need you to wipe away my sins and make me a new person. And Lord, we just commit ourselves to you again this morning. We say, Lord, we wanna be people who finish well. And by your grace, Lord, we ask, let that be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.